You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Catholic Saints. My name is Dr. Ben Akers. I'm the Chief Content Officer here at the Augustan Institute, and my guest today is Paul McCusker, resident storyteller. And we're celebrating the release of a new CD set that we have of the most recent audio drama that we've done, mm-hmm. The Victory of Joan of Arc. So Catholic Saints is where we have a conversation with uh, with a professor, now with or, our resident storyteller, or, or the one who tells the stories <laughs> of the saints, who uh, heroes and heroines of the Catholic faith that you know celebrate the virtues of faith, hope, charity, and fortitude in a particular way, I think, with, with Joan of Arc. It's a special edition because we usually talk about the story of the saints and I want to talk about her life and how it comes out in the telling of the story. But I also want to unbox this mm. special CD sets and find out these extra resources that we have uh, here. So if you're following along, Catholic Saints is a podcast that the Augustine Institute releases weekly. Again, special edition, Victory of Joan of Arc. So what are some, Leo, can we give a, a broad stroke of the life of Joan of Arc? She's probably one of the most mysterious saints that we have uh, in our calendar. I, we have so many great saints, though. Well, we do, but she's unusual, in, in especially in the context of where she appeared historically. But uh, the whole thing, I mean, so many of the saints I find a bit crazy anyway, yeah. you know, uh, Francis, and some of them uh, just don't fit neatly. They do what they do almost in defiance of their times. So with Joan, here you have a girl, peasant girl, Raised so like in the 15th century. Yeah, so okay, we're in yeah. you know, the 1400s, early 1400s. And um, uh, she is part of a part of France, because France was completely polarized. Yeah. So uh, just to give context of her, uh, what she grew up with. So you have uh, the English have were constantly invading France and trying to take over. They laid claim to it. So this is part of the Hundred Years' War, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's a long war. Yeah, and it's long. <laughs> and um, and Henry V, people know yes. him from Shakespeare, Shakespeare yeah. comes in the Battle of Agincourt, which was a huge turning point, by the way. To French sensibilities, that loss so confounded them that they actually thought maybe it was a punishment from God. Hmm. So spiritually, you have this dynamic going on, not only with the English very much present in their country. But then you had sort of on the northern end, the Duke of Burgundy, and he was he was pro whatever would work for him. So yeah. he would be so pro-English if it served him, yeah. side with the French, his own people, if it would serve them, whatever would serve him best. And then she came from the part of the country that was more or less pro-French by okay. itself and not overrun necessarily by the English. But she grew up with a lot of sort of renegade troops coming and going. So her her town, Domremy, was in the middle of this area. So she was well acquainted to uh, the battles and and to the conflicts of the country. But when she was twelve, um, there were she began to and it, it sounds crazy, but she began to hear essentially voices. But she knew immediately her sense was that there was something divine here. And she began to discern, uh, I think she spoke with her priest about what is this, what are they telling me to do? And essentially, the calling came down to, you are going to lead the French to victory and have the Dauphin, who was the prince, Mm -hmm. though disavowed prince, uh, Charles, uh, you are going to have him crowned 
in the cathedral where he should be crowned. And so this was her call. She's 18 years old. Years old. Yeah. Was, so was, the was, voices was, came at 12. Okay. They began to prep her, sort okay. of like, hey, we have something we want you to do, and then gently moving her in. And she was very holy. I mean, she was a normal girl in a lot of ways, but she went to mass whenever she could. She engaged in the sacraments, uh, confession, all of them she would do. But then by the time she got to 17 and 18, then she began to get directives. And the directive was, you need to present yourself to the court and tell them you're there to lead them to victory, basically, and have Charles crowned king properly. It's an amazing story. Um, and she, if I remember correctly, there were certain saints that were telling, were the voices related yeah, to? Yeah, St. Catherine uh, de Firbois, I'm saying that probably okay. wrong, and St. Margaret, and then uh, eventually St. Michael himself okay. also so was leader, part of the equation. Of Okay, so she's 12, getting prepped. I think I remember reading that she had a marriage proposal even one time. Yeah, there was like a one, point where there was Her dad wanted to live a kind something. of a normal yeah. life, and she's not like, I'm convinced she was committed to purity, committed to a life of right. chastity to, for the mission right. of what the Lord was calling her to do. So she runs away from home. Yes. Right, to, to escapes or runs away from home. Is, is her uncle, Is it if I remember correctly, it's like her uncle that... Takes her to the next town over. Or helps something like her, that. yeah, helps to her meet escape. with uh, Sir Robert Baudricourt yeah, uh, and and Valkalor. and it was like that was the first stop. But the thing is, is um, he sent her home. <laughs> so they had this tug of war where she'd show up and say, "Here's my mission. I'm here to tell you. You need to get me an introduction to the court. You know, to meet Charles and tell him what I'm here to do." And he was like, "Go home. You yeah. know, just don't be ridiculous. Go home." So she goes home. Uh, and then she comes back again. I mean, there was a sort of back and forth. She was tenacious. Yeah. And then politically, it just became very strange. I mean, he he began to um, wonder, well, maybe she is, maybe she isn't. What am I going to do with her? She won't leave me alone. Well, what ran interference was the siege of Orléans. Mm -hmm. So there's this vital town that the English came in and basically laid siege to. It's walled city, and they... And camp around. It's like it. a key spot in like the north oh yeah, and where south the rivers meet and, yep. and, and yep. yeah, and and technically because the the Duke of Orleans was one of their prisoners in England, and generally you you're not allowed to raid the town of a prisoner while you're negotiating for ransom or whatever. Well, he had been over there for years, and the the, the commanders in the English army basically said, "We need this town," and they went in. They couldn't capture it completely. So they laid siege to it. And around this time, some of the stories about Joan was that she had a vision. She was told that it had happened, and there was no way she could have known. So when she went back to Baudricourt, it was basically, to prove my mission, I am going to free that town. But you have to let me. I have to meet yeah. the Dauphin, and then I've got to free the town. And they still wrestled over whether to believe her or not. I mean, she's 18 years old. Was it there was also a prophecy at the time that was like kind of popular that yes. the, the kingdom had been given away by a woman, yes. the Dauphin's mother, yes. who disavowed him as kind of the rightful heir, and yet a virgin would save France. Yes. Something along those lines. Yes, yeah. and there were those who, because as I said, with Agincourt and the, the loss there a few years before, there was a spiritual dynamic going on. People, you need to repent. You need to re-engage with the sacraments. You need to do all kinds of things. And that was one of the prophecies. So she shows up and says, she never claimed to be the one yeah. 
to fulfill the prophecy, which I think would have been immodest for her in sure. many ways. Her humility, I don't think, would have allowed her. All she did was follow the voice, the voices, and do what they were telling her to do. And so ultimately, she got to meet the Dauphin. So she meets Charles VII, who becomes Charles VII. Yes. And does he immediately believe her? Or is he skeptical? Well, it's it's one of those things, and again, the stories are interesting because um, they try... By the way, her story is one of the most chronicled hmm. uh, at that point in history. So even Because of her time, trials later on, they were the so, scribes. So, so, even, so even at the time that she's living, yes. they're, they're writing down the trials. Yes. There the were two, two trials. One was while she was alive because the English mm -hmm. was determined right. to have her burned as a witch. And then years later, uh, uh, the cause was championed to revisit and to have her uh, sort of undeclared as a witch to basically look again. And by the time that happened, you still had a lot of living witnesses mm. who could give testimony. So they had the first testimonies where she told the truth. Yep. So we can piece together a lot about her life from that and then pick up more of the pieces later. So when she showed up, um, the Dauphin was skeptical. All, everyone in his court yeah, how, was how, how could you not be? Yeah. And like, said, I'm the one that's going to help crown you as king someday. Yeah. Yeah. And she was naive enough. She just couldn't understand why they didn't immediately embrace her and say, okay, let's do this. Uh, what they wound up doing was putting her through a lot of tests. But there were stories that when she met him, um, they pulled a trick on her. They tried to. When she entered the, the chambers and they had this big crowd and they put someone else on the throne. And Charles, who she had never seen, it's not like they had pictures yep. around or anything. She came in and they said, he's over there. You can go talk to him. And she said, that's not him. And she's looking around and then she found him in the crowd. That's amazing. That's like a classic plot now yeah. in, in movies. Oh, you do shows, that. Like where they do that, where they kind of switch. The, well, even, the even further yeah. to go uh, the next step is that she then had a private conference with right. him yeah. where she then proceeded to tell him some things that only God knew. Hmm. And that was the test. She said, no one else knows what I'm about to tell you, only because you were saying it in prayer to God alone. Wow. And okay. so she proceeds to spell out to him what he had prayed to God. And, and a lot of those prayers were very um, humble. So he, he had a lot of problems, but there was a degree of humility, and, and especially in his relationship with God, that uh, emerged as I was trying to tell this story. Um, so I wanted to be careful how we handled it because he's too easily played either as an indecisive mm -hmm. idiot or he's played in a cynical direction, whereas I, I don't think he was all of either one of those scenarios. So he got to the point where he believed her enough, but then still put her through a lot of tests. Yeah you know, to check, to make sure that she was put, put her in the hands of women who examined her and uh, the, the men in the royal court who all had their own agendas were also watching over her. And then finally, he actually gave her what she needed by way of commander's army, go to Orland, you can prove what it is that God's telling you to do based on what happens in Orleans. One of the things I love about her spirit, is, I mean, the single-mindedness, the single-heartedness, the choleric temperament yes. <laughs> as she goes to Orleans, as she sends a letter saying, you know, okay, we're here. We're going to take this yep. over and you, you, we'll let you live if you go back to England. Yes. 
You know, the, you know, the boldness of just surrender. But she did that every time. That's the thing. <laughs> every battle, just about every battle she went into, she gave them a chance to leave. Mm-hmm. And she would say, and they, of course, mocked her, yep. scoffed at her, called her names. She went out uh, on the bridge outside of Orléans once she got there, and they had this stronghold. And she went out on the bridge where they could have easily shot her, and she's yelling at them, you have every chance. God is telling you to leave. Save your lives now. And they are calling her names. They're being, And she's bewildered by the fact yeah. that they're calling her these names. There's the sweetness to her. Yeah that even in the toughness kept showing up. And there are other scenes where she was very much an 18-year-old yeah, girl. Yeah, she's just a young woman. She it, just yeah, would have little young temper tantrums. Yeah. She would yeah. get annoyed because they wouldn't yeah. tell her things. Yeah. Uh, and and that's one of the things that I loved about her, her humanity alongside the obedience. Because so much like these other saints uh, whose stories we've told, it's the obedience, the reckless yes. Yeah that they said yes to God, and come what may, they were going to do whatever God told them to do. And she was no exception. She stayed on task. And, uh, and it, the story doesn't go in her favor in the end. I mean, her no. eternal favor, she's going to yeah. we declare her a saint. But, uh, you know, she wins the Battle of Orléans, but later battles are not Yeah, won. well, what she does is she they, they make their way, so they concede to the crowning in Runs, uh, where mm-hmm. the, the cathedral was, where the kings were traditionally crowned. So they agree, she wins. Then she has to win these towns along the way, get their allegiance. So they're having these skirmishes all the way up to the cathedral. Then he is properly crowned. It's an amazing moment. And she was there with him up when he was crowned, not just in the yeah. audience, because the, the prince acknowledged that he wouldn't be there except for her. But this is where some would argue whether or not she overstepped her bounds or what was at play, except you still had people with their own agendas who then began to use her. It's like, mm-hmm. well, we can use her as a PR person. You know, right. she's a good representation if we can get her on our she side or whatever. Yeah. So, and then part of that was going after Paris to try to drive the English out of Paris. Um, and as they move north, now they're in dangerous territory. And with that, everything became up, uh, everything was up for grabs. I mean, she was being used in in political senses. Uh, the Dauphin sometimes, uh, he, he was erring in the direction of peace, naively, because yeah. then he went into peace treaties and he said, look, you can't be attacking anybody or doing anything while the treaty's on. And they kept saying the treaty is a stall tactic for them to build up their forces so right. they can overrun you. Well, she was ultimately captured, uh, I think it was north of Paris. And there's a big debate, too, about how she was captured, whether that might have been a setup or, or whether it was just the circumstances. But she had been warned. Uh, she had been warned multiple times by her voices, by the voices that you have two, maybe three years, but she wasn't quite sure if that meant two to three years to Left fulfill the mission. mission or to death. And then she became increasingly of a mind that this was going to ultimately lead to her death. And they kept saying, you need to yield as Jesus did. You need to kind of accept what's thrown at you. And uh, so she was then... Uh, captured, taken in, in in violation of all the codes at the time where normally you'd capture somebody and then ransom them. They never held her up for ransom. Mm. The English basically said, no, you're ours. We're going to keep you and, and you will 
burn at the stake. Yeah, and Charles VII didn't really come to her defense. No. Yeah. He, no, they nobody nobody came for yeah. her ultimately. I mean, they, they moved her around so they couldn't. But you're, uh, where you're going with that is right. I mean, the loneliness for yeah, her. Exactly. And the, the trial is just some, is a testament to just the abuse she went through with uh, oh, yes. just the, these learned men, theologians, bishops, cardinals, you know, pressuring her to try to recant, to say she made it all yep. up. And just her firmness of will is just amazing. And this is maybe, you know, thank you for sharing like that. I didn't know that we had so much recorded about her, about the trial. Um, but right before I came down, I looked at the catechism because I like to check to see, oh, does the catechism use these quotes, you know, a mm -hmm. saint in a particular way? She's quoted four, her, her words are used four times in the catechism, which is a mm -hmm. lot mm -hmm. for a saint. And it, they all come from the trial and the acts right. of, of Joan of Arc. She, she was amazing because um, to stand her ground mm -hmm. because at various points, and she did despair at various times. And this is, again, what I love about her humanity was that there were times when she fell into degrees of despair. And she's 18 years old, right. 19 you, years yeah. old. And you can understand how they're hammering her day in and day out. They're depriving her of food. The most precious thing to her were the sacraments. She was begging uh, for the Eucharist. She was begging for confession. And that's how they tried to manipulate her, by withholding them. Uh, they would say, well, no, no. Or or if we do, will you concede to this? And they kept trying to play her in that direction. But she caught it. She knew what they were trying to do. And yet her desire was for the sacraments. And it's it's interesting because of the documentation, and this kind of goes into the, the, the drama, that um, because we have like three different directions of documentation about her, that's what I used in the drama. There are three story approaches, not just one. And one was that at the time, almost every major town had a chronicler, somebody who was saying today in Paris, this happened, and somebody tried to raid us mm -hmm. or we were attacked by whoever. And I decided to use that as one of our narrators, a character I made up named Mouchard. So he's the one who, who talks about what's going on in the present tense. And then, because of the transcripts from the trial, I also created another character named the interviewer, who then talks to the witnesses past tense. Hmm. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What what? Give us some more of the behind the scenes, looking back on it. And then, of course, we have the drama in scene. It's not yeah. all narrated. It's mostly acted in scene with her, with the characters around her and everything that happened. One of the things that I was struck by listening was uh, my ear is not as attuned to French names as, ah, yes. <laughs> as others <laughs> might, might be. Um, but one of the things, you know, as the all the different trials and all the different voices you bring in, there is a, a, a clear kind of call, clear voice ringing out of Joan. Mm -hmm. Joan is just always the same. And yes. uh, her voice is always discernible. Yes. Well, and that was on purpose. I mean, uh, one of the th things that we were aware of is that she was surrounded by a lot of male voices, names that I didn't expect the audience to remember. Mm -hmm. There are key key people that you get because of yep. the, the number of scenes they're in, and you may recognize their voice. I hope you do. But the important thing that I wanted was that Joan's voice is singular in this cacophony of voices around her, the, the prince, his court, the army, the army commanders, all of, uh, they don't all believe in her. So they're all saying, this is how we're going to do it. And she's saying, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. You need to do it this way. Yeah. And it confounded them that she was off and right. But you're, you're right. That was intentional. 
that her voice almost singularly works through the entire drama around all these other voices that should be dominating her and then they don't. And she's the clear one. Uh, and that, that reminded me of a phrase that we use for some other saints, Athanasius contra mundum. Mm. Athanasius against the world is, you know, mm -hmm. Jean, 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 uh, Jean yeah. against the world, contra mundum. Uh, how did you pick Joan of Arc? Because so we have, if you're not familiar, if you're, you know, you're tuning in for the first time, Paul is an incredible storyteller mm. in, you know, we'll talk about some of your written works, but the audio dramas of St. Francis of Assisi, St. Cecilia, mm. uh, Robin Hood, mm. um, St. Yeah, Patrick. Patrick, one of my favorites. <laughs> Robin uh, Hood, not uh, being a saint. Yeah, but, Robin Hood, okay. Saint Robin, it causes yeah. up. You know, but but Joan of Arc, you know, because it takes so much effort and research on your part, mm. and then the resources we put, you know, at the Augustine Institute and generous donors that help put these on. How did you pick Joan out of all the saints? Well, she was on the wish list from the start okay. when we said, "Oh, we're going to do a saint stories." Um, uh, it was sort of a wish list of well, where do we begin? Yeah. And and Dr. Tim Gray said, "Well, I think we should start with Francis." And then Patrick seemed like the obvious next one. The less obvious one was Cecilia, mm -hmm. because not as many people know her, but we chose her because of the artistic angle. Yeah. She's this muse of music. And we said, well, each one seems to be looking at the saints from different angles, so let's do Cecilia. Um, and then we did Robin Hood, yeah. which was mostly just to give the family something, something that's high summer. adventure. Yeah, but with Robin Hood, what I did and the whole intention was to restore the Catholicism right. to his story. Because yeah. the earliest stories always portrayed Robin as a faithful Catholic. And so we said, I want to restore that because Hollywood has stripped that out. Most people don't realize yeah. that that's true for him. And then... Um, Post-COVID, we said, okay, who next? And Joan of Arc, because of who she is, I mean, she was so remarkable and the story was so remarkable. The, the challenge was going to be how do you capture the story in, in an audio drama, make it discernible, but with the battle scenes and with the political machinations going on around her and everything, it was a great challenge. I used a dozen different books. To, to help me piece it together. I'm guessing the audience is probably going to ask, did you use Mark Twain? Because Mark Twain was famous, one of them. famous text about her. Yeah, and he, Mark Twain was amazing because you, you understand with later books that you have, you have, you can Google things, you know, you can do digital research. Mark Twain actually went to France. He oh, went to do research. And he, oh, his research was exhaustive. So his, his is a good chronicle. And I did, I did use it. I referenced it with, among the others. Just to try to piece it together because... There's so much to her story. It's hard to narrow down what, uh, how to maintain a dramatic through line without yeah. it sounding like a documentary. Right. It's a drama first and foremost, and that's what we had worked on. Well, okay, so we're looking at the drama. I'm going to unbox this on set. This is the victory of yep. Joan of Arc. So we we sell these. So we've released this. You might have heard it digitally, and it's a. It was available digitally on. Um, the uh, well, her feast YouTube, day at the end Spotify. of May, and yep, then we put May. it on all these platforms. Yes, put on these platforms because we really wanted to get the story out about the about Joan. Uh, you can listen to it on the Amen app. I encourage you to do that. It's a free app that we have at the mm -hmm. Augustine Institute, and you can listen to her story, Joan of Arc. Right now, we're filming this in October, and so we're we have Saint Francis of Assisi up as well mm -hmm. on the Amen app. So uh, not only did you digitally, but why would we make a CD set? Well, so some cars don't even have CD. My, my car is old enough to have a CD. Yes. Uh, and CD I think um, uh, th there are a lot of people who still use CDs. Yeah. And they're not ancient like I am. They are 
uh, my, my family does at home. It. We bought a CD player so the yeah. kids could listen to CDs. And there are realities. There are certain realities yeah. with with digital when it comes yeah. to streaming, when it comes to Bluetooth. The technology doesn't always work, and we find that families tend to listen to this mm -hmm. on the road. You may have uh, gaps in your signal, whatever it may be. So by whatever means you do that, if you load it into your phone, you know, or however it is that you do, so you could plug in and play. But I'm I'm a fan because when you when you yeah. when you do this, so. We have beautiful artwork, That's what which you don't like, get digitally. Yeah, what is this? What are we looking at yeah. with the So with our team, cover? our team, and our art always tries to be evocative. Mm -hmm. So we have the banner that she created, that the voices told her to create, and you of course have her sword. So but it says the Jesus sword and Mary on it, with, yeah, with Christ as as king. And the sword is part of the story because one of the little miracles you could call it was that one of the voices said go into battle with my sword it was saint catherine <laughs> and they went we don't know where her sword is and she yeah. said oh it's at this church and they is went the and they found it, like it was buried <laughs> yeah it was buried at the church and no that. one knew it was there yeah. so they went oh this is the miracle so we have that of course we have her against uh you see the oncoming army and um it's just trying to evoke the reality of her at prayer, her, of course, with the cut the hair, short hair yep. and wearing, wearing a armor. soldier's uniform, yep. um, which was in, in many ways scandalous at the time. In yeah, fact, at the, the trial, they the kept trial, bringing it up. That's right. It was like the, the almost the final thing they convicted her of, yeah. um, some biblical like dressing, injunction. Dressing, yeah, up, dressing up in a soldier's man. uniform. Yep. In fact, one of my favorite lines from her was they went to her and they finally said, look, if, if, if we'll, get, we'll let you have the sacraments. Um, if you put on a dress, what is it that you'll do? Or it, she finally just said, "All right, I'll put on the dress if you let me wear it back to my home." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no that's like <laughs> we're, we're not letting you escape. <laughs> so, and what what I love about these, the packaging is, of course, we we get to show some of the actors. In fact, once you move inside, we have great art all the way through. But the thing that we keep in mind is that we're trying to do this for families. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, on the inside, we have our all of our discs, five discs. So that's the drama. But one of the things, and then, of course, uh, more of the actors, because we had 50, I think we had 58 actors Did, in so, this So this, this, this uh, young woman, Heather. So Heather Forrester, who almost yeah. looks like her. I just to say, with the short hair, she yeah. looks like a young gentleman. Heather, Heather uh, considering the fact that Joan, as you said, is the voice that you hear through the whole thing. Heather had to do that. Hmm. And she's new. She is roughly the age of Joan. She's, wow. I think she's around 20, yeah. 21, 22. Sounds young. But she came in and played it to perfection. I mean, she hit all of the right notes emotionally. She she was amazing. We have Harry Lloyd. Some would know her. Finty Williams, who is Judy Dench's daughter, by the way. Uh, Chris Larkin. If you look at the pictures... There are a lot of the actors, of course, that the British will know, and Americans will know because they've seen them in something, but they can't always think of what it might be. That's interesting, because one of the things that you, you've done with these audio dramas is you go to England to yes. record, because yeah. they have a great, rich history of, of audio, audio drama. drama. Yeah, acting with the voice is very different from on-screen acting, and a lot of on-screen actors, if you just strip out everything except their voice, they don't play very well. So <laughs> we go to explosions in the background, uh, and things like whatever. That. Yeah, I mean, they just, to. we, yeah. there was a production we were going to do and we almost had Peter O'Toole come in to do it. And he actually admitted, I am a screen actor. I'm not a voice actor. Hmm. It would be a big mistake for me to come in. I would not be able to deliver what you need. And that was very humble and, right. and, and honest. 
because there are a lot of actors who can't and think they can. We go to London because it's still part of their discipline. It's part of what they're taught. And so we know that we're going to get actors who know how to put you into the character in the scene. Now, one of the things, and all this information is in here, what happens with the books is because we're family-minded, we, we give sort of a booklet that has an introduction so I can introduce her life and the idea behind the audio drama itself. We did a timeline, That's helpful. a full timeline of her life and everything that happened, the unfolding events. Uh, pictures. We have pictures of uh, oh, some locations. of the places and, nice. and settings, including the picture of her that was scribbled onto. You were telling me about this. I'd never heard of this before. Yeah, no, yeah. There, there is a drawing of her that if you go to her trial notes, one of the scribes did a little drawing of her. And it's the earliest drawing we have we of her do that at all. today. Yeah, yeah they, they were doodling, do basically. Thing, yeah. and, um, but a big part of this, we have a map so you can figure out who the players are and what's going on. And then we get into discussion questions. This is very helpful. This, this is, is huge to yes. me. So you listen to a CD. Yep. Would you recommend doing the questions before or after the CD? Well, I would say after, after because okay. the questions reference the CD. Okay. And so it's episode by episode, and each CD has, I think, two episodes on it. And the idea then is families can unpack uh, aspects of the story, not just factually, but mm -hmm. in terms of her spiritual life, uh, their own spiritual lives. Uh, how do you react? What do you think? Was she right? Was she wrong? You know, bring up questions for discussion, because our experience with doing a lot of audio dramas, um, and in my experience, is there something about the audio dramas that will open kids up to talk in ways that they just normally wouldn't. It's, it draws something out so that if you ask questions, they actually will answer. It's not like a pop quiz at school. Right. It really does become family discussion and a chance for parental catechism to talk about what we believe, why we believe it, why, how did this fit? in what we believe is Catholic. And that's what we love what we do here at the Augustine Institute is we're not just entertaining you with great inspi inspiring stories about saints, but we're also giving you resources. We're equipping you as parents and as teachers of the faith to allow that that information that's being you know, communicated to embed more deeply into the into your kids' mm -hmm. lives. So I love the fact that you put these. And the other uh, programs that we have in CDs also have these yes, discussions. Yes, every one of, that we've done here has one of these inside. We've made sure that it does. And that's the thing. I mean, the convenience of digital is that it is convenient. Yep. But what you often miss is, is the artwork. Is this? I mean, I, I believe ultimately we may post this in PDF form somewhere. Mm -hmm. But with a lot of the platforms, it's not easy to distribute right. that. They'd have to come to us. Finding it's hard, and most yeah. people wouldn't even bother, even if they know it exists. Um, it's just one of those things you're not thinking about when you're streaming somewhere. Right. So when you get the package, it's sort of a great present. It's a great Christmas present. Yep, it's something tangible yep. that you can open and touch and experience as opposed to here's a code to look to listen to it on some platform somewhere. No, and, and what I love about it is it's something you can pick up, you can touch. It, it reminds you like, oh, yeah, I do want to finish that. This yes. is like something on an app. You just, you know. Sometimes, sometimes you forget. Sometimes you forget. Yep. Yep. Now, this is not the only the only time or the first time that you told the story of Joan of Arc. You've also told her story in writing as well. Yes. In fact, it's it's might be the first time in my career that it's happened um, because 
of COVID and everything, this got delayed and we didn't really know when we were going to be able to do it again, not only uh, from our decision making, but England was in lockdown, getting to the actors was going to be a problem. And so uh, we have this series, it's, it's part of the Hope Springs universe we've created called The Virtue Chronicles. And it's, it's funny because the first one ties into the Robin Hood uh, drama that we did. You don't have to listen to it to read the book or vice versa, but it, actually, if you do read the book and listen, um, uh, there you it, put some Easter eggs plugs in some there? pieces. Yeah, there's some things that overlap, and this is um, it's a time travel series basically. So this and, is for middle school. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this would be yeah more into the 10, 11 mm -hmm. upwards from there, and uh, and so two characters, uh, Andrew and Eve, time travel. So they go back to Robin Hood. And then in the second book, Warrior they go to Joan of Arc. Okay. So the research that I did for this book, actually, I was naive. I thought, because I researched this and then after that had written the third book, which is about Edmund Campion and, and the British martyrs, I thought, oh, well, when we go into the audio drama, well, that should be easy. I'll yeah. just remember and look at all my notes and do it again. But audio drama is completely different. Yeah. And the dynamic of two kids interacting sure. with her yep. in this reality is completely different. So I, I almost had to start from scratch in order to do the audio drama. Well, they'd be a great compliment. So if someone wanted to make us, you know, St. Joan of Arc Christmas present, you know, if you have the young reader, yeah. the warrior maiden, yes. and then as a family to listen to Joan of Arc, what would be the audience who say of Joan of Arc? Would, would you think it's something families could listen to? Well, uh, they keep fooling me because we usually say, just by default, um, because of the material, you know, you, parents should be cautious yeah. for anyone under 11 or 12 years old, maybe. But what we keep hearing is that whole families are listening. They've got five-year-olds listening, six, seven, and we're not getting letters from anyone who is traumatized. I'm very careful, by the way, for anything that gets into a, a degree of personal violence. I, I, I handled... Uh, her mm -hmm. death very carefully. Again, we're not out to traumatize anyone. Uh, and, and with all of them, it's the same. Though Francis and Patrick actually yep. did not die as martyrs. Yes. But uh, Cecilia so, yeah. did, and of course she did. And I'm very we're very careful how we do it. So that I always err on the side that younger listeners may be part of the equation. Mm -hmm. and, and so I want to tell the story in, in as the best way I can, but just be mindful that there might be younger ears uh, either listening actively or eavesdropping, as the case may be. So Joan of Arc is, her story, 600 years old. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. 600 years old, but yet she still captivates her imagination. Yes. Why do you think that is the case? Well, I think it's because with with heroes and heroines, we, we do tend to project ourselves into them. I mean, we're interested in the heroes and heroines and, and, and characters and stories that touch us in some way. We either see ourselves there as we are or as we wish to be. Her situation was remarkable because she was living in a polarized country, if that sounds familiar, completely mm. polarized. And she was called to stand for the faith and not just stand for it as a defense of it, yeah. but to actually move into the situation to be part of the solution. And come what may, this is what I keep going back to. She did not know the end. None mm. of us know the end. But she said we yes. Don't know. And she and said she yes, and she stayed it. with it. And so for me, that's it. And, and uh, I would add to that for younger listeners, 
Because very often we feel detached from the saints, especially if you're younger, you're thinking, oh, it's some old guy, some old woman, somebody that's nothing like me. This girl is was like just about any 18-year-old girl you would know, yeah. and yet she answered God's call. She went into the situation, and she stayed faithful to the end, and not unrealistically. She did it she did it real she did it realistically in the sense that that she wasn't perfect because i find that most of the saints aren't right yeah. uh that that they have foibles they have things that are very the human personalities can, yeah yeah and that was her all the way through thank you paul for making this this yeah. incredible gift uh i know that my family has enjoyed listening to the stories that you tell mm. um Anything else that you'd like to have for our viewers or our listeners? Well, there is a trailer out there, yeah. by the way. I think yeah, that's um, great. at some yeah. point uh, people can yeah, look for the trailer. We'll put the trailer here and uh, so you can listen to that and get a, a, a sneak peek at Joan of Arc. You can, you can find Victory of Joan of Arc. You can go to catholic.market if you'd like mm -hmm. to buy it, uh, along with other resources that we have by Paul, mm. uh, including the Virtue Chronicles and Hope Springs is a, Hope Springs, a younger the adventures audience. Of, yeah, the first reader series, The Adventures of uh, Nick and Sam. Yep. There are nine books in that. And that's for the younger. More, yeah, that would be more reader. the first reader, depending on you know where how, they are how, as a first reader. Yeah. Um, that could be six, seven years old, all the way you know up to eight, nine, ten. Uh, I try to write them so hopefully, whether you're a first reader or not, it, it's still... Well, even if you're a first reader, you have the parents that are reading exactly. with that first reader. So yes. we get to enjoy the, the books as well. Right. So, well, thank you, Paul. And, and check yeah. out the trailer to The Victory of Joan of Arc. This is what I know from the voices that guide me. I will break the siege of Orléans. I will lead the Dauphin to Reims for his coronation. Jeanne, have the voices told you anything else about your future? What is your name? In my town, they call me Jeannette. Since I came to central France, I have been called Jeanne. Jeanne? How did God call you? to be his messenger. He had been speaking to me through his saints since I was 13. Open the gate! Maiden, I beg you, do not go out there. It is an open field. You may come with me or not, but I am going. We are not dealing with a mere girl. The battle was lost until she arrived. I have seen nothing like it in all my years. In God's name, we must go against the English. Men at arms, protect the maiden! Go now! The blood of France is spilling. Thank you for being a dedicated listener to the Catholic Saints podcast. Your support truly uplifts us. For those seeking additional thought-provoking content, go to formed.org. It's a platform brimming with resources, including insightful videos that align seamlessly with our podcast themes. 
If you're finding value in our podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback serves as a cornerstone for our growth and outreach.